Good morning, church gathered at Pleasant Street. The Lord be with you. Thank you. It's good to be together. For those of you that are worshiping with us at home, welcome. I feel like I'm in everybody's way right now. <laughs> I'm not quite sure where to go. <laughs> anyway, it's good to be together. And um, I do have a couple of announcements. First off, um, thank you to those of you who came for the cleanup of the parsonage. We're making progress, and hopefully we can get everything finished for when the Burns family comes in a month. So the time is going quickly, and if there, hopefully we can have another work party to just finish everything up. So stay tuned for that as well. Speaking of helping, this coming Saturday... The deacons are sponsoring another service time work party at Healing Hearts Hospitality House. Got that? Healing Hearts Hospitality House. That is Carol Lewis's wonderful mission that is in Worcester. We did have teams that went during serve this summer to help out there, but the work was, they were not able to finish everything. So the deacons are hoping to get in there this coming Saturday. And so if you are able to help um, see Phil Knapper or Annika Bangma, and I believe that there's more information in your bulletin as well. So hopefully we can get more people helping out with that too. Um, today, after our worship service, we do have coffee outside, so let's spend some time fellowshipping doing that. Um, oh, another thing I forgot to mention, too, is that we are still looking for someone to take the lead on divorce care for kids. This is such an important ministry that we need to be able to continue with. There are families that are hurting, and kids especially are the ones that are collateral damage, essentially, from these divorces. So if God is pressing on your heart to begin and help with that ministry, see Howard or Marlene DeVries for that one. We also want to welcome this morning Pastor Dan Voss, who will be preaching. And so thank you, Dan, for being here. We look forward to how God is going to speak to us through you as well. Why don't we quiet our hearts now in a time of preparation? Fill our worship with grace, Lord Jesus Christ, that every thought, word, and deed may be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I invite you to rise in body or in spirit as we join in our call to worship this morning. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you, God. Rejoice in the Lord, O righteous and give thanks to God's holy name. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. God's greatness is unsearchable. Let's sing about his greatness in a very familiar song, How Great is Our God. Joy, all the earth rejoice. 
We declare, I am blessed, I am called, I am healed, I am whole, I am saved in Jesus' name. What a declaration, what a promise, what a beautiful gift. A gift from God that he's given so freely to us. But as the week goes on, you know, Sunday mornings we declare these things and we are so excited. But then as the week goes on, do you get down? Do you forget? Do you forget that we declare those things? This is why in this time in our service that we take this time to confess. Because we have not lived the way that God wants us to live every day of every week. So friends, I invite you to join me now in a prayer of confession. Oh Lord our God, you have searched us and known us. You know not only what we say, but also what we think. You know not only what we say, but what we, we almost said. You know how quickly our thoughts rise to praise ourselves because we're well-off or good-looking or healthy or smart, boasting of your gifts as if they were our accomplishments. You know how slowly our thoughts sink to accuse ourselves even when we have turned our backs on you, fascinating ourselves with alien gods whose calling we heed while ignoring your own. Quickly boasting, slowly accusing, truly we need to repent. O oh God, forgive, correct, and heal us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Friends, let's take some time of confession silently to bring it before the Lord. Let's continue in prayer using the song, Not What My Hands Have Done.
all who turn from sin and sorrow, to all who turn to God in hope. This is God's word of grace. We are accepted. We are forgiven. We are loved. And together we say, thanks be to God. life through Christ and pass the peace with uh, those around us. The peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. You may be seated. Good morning, Mark Hackathorn, second year, finishing my second year as uh, Elder on Council. Uh, I offer a warm welcome to all of you. Um, I do have a few announcements this morning. I apologize for not printing this out in 14 fonts, so now I have to use my glasses. Um, I continue to pray for uh, Flo and Edie Georgema. Uh, Flo had back surgery and uh, Edie had hip surgery. They are both now home and recuperating. Um, but they could use your uh, continued prayers for full recovery. We also want to keep um, Marlene's cousin, Mark, who is now in hospice in your prayers, and also Joy Briggs and family. Uh, Joy continues to have uh, medical issues, and they are currently trying to find a uh, new home. I did attend, uh, did attend classes this week. I was held at Avery Street in Connecticut. I did it via Zoom, which was, uh, which was a little different. Um, usually the second day of classes, which I had the privilege of going to, um, it is a uh, um, evaluation of folks that want to be leading a church or participating in a, in a church, um, and, and they have to go through an examination through classes, and I had the privilege of um, listening to Polo Kim and Linda Yang, um, who are just uh, really outstanding. I mean, God lifts people up and puts them in 
places that uh, he needs them to be, and they were, they were truly um, terrific. And I believe that they're going to be um, starting a church plant in the South Shore. Is that right, Dan? Is it South Shore? North Shore? North Shore. Sorry about that. Um, the other highlight of the day was um, uh, classes um, cleared uh, Pastor Dan Voss to, um, to a call. Uh, Dan has finished his doctorate in divinity. Good for Dan. How about a round of applause for his hard work? Good job, Dan. Really, really outstanding. Um, and a final reminder to um, share your blessings and burdens amongst each other and, and certainly with your uh, deacon and your elder. At this time, let's go to our great God in prayer. Almighty God, Abba, Father, creator of the universe and creator of this awesome day, we are so thankful for this day where we can rest, where we can gather freely to worship you, to give you all the thanks and praise and sing songs and petition you for help in our many struggles. We are in awe of your perfect plan of free will and redemption through your son, a part of you through whom we can talk to as a caring father who only wants good things for us, who you sent to live among us, a perfect example of how you would have us live, but then pay the ultimate price of death on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins when we fail. Lord, we lift up our church and pray for each of our staff members who work diligently to keep our church's daily operations running smoothly. Lord, as we prepare to receive Pastor Burns and family, we are so grateful for everyone who helped in getting the parsonage ready for their arrival. We also pray for Matthew and Diana as they pack and prepare to move all their belongings from California to Massachusetts. Lord, give them strength, give them determination, and ultimately, Lord, give them a great deal of patience between them and all that has to be a very stressful time for them. Lord, we pray for our empty seats. We have room for others. Help us to continue to be the loving and welcoming church that gives you the honor and praise you deserve. Lord, even at a difficult time, help fill us to capacity. For our shut-ins and self-quarantines that are at high risk, for those members that cannot worship with us here today, continue to bless them and let them feel your love and grace on a daily basis. Lord, we lift up Edie and Flo with your loving and healing hand. Give them full recovering from their surgeries. And Lord, be with Joy Briggs and help her with her medical issues and help their family find a home which they can call their own. Lord, we continue to lift up Mark, who is in hospice. Lord, give him your peace and give him your understanding. Lord, as the first phase of major repairs to this facility are being and are being uh, nearing to an end, we ask that you would continue to give us the means to complete all that is needed to be done. Continue to watch over the workers and keep them safe. Lord, we thank you for this great country 
where we're free to worship you without fear of persecution, that I can stand here right now and pray to you openly. That we can sing songs of worship and praise and hear your word preached without censorship. But Lord, as we near our elections, the division in our country runs deep. Please help us to be a truly one nation under God. Please, Lord, start a revival in this country that unites us rather than divides us. Thank you, Lord, for healing President Trump. Thank you for a country that has unparalleled ability to find cures and new methods to combat a virus that plagues this planet. Please give President Trump strength and endurance and wisdom in carrying out his daily duties leading this country. We also pray for our members of Senate and Congress, plus our local state governors and leaders. We ask that you would fill them with wisdom, with tolerance and compassion and understanding. We pray that all of our leaders' decisions would be good and honoring and pleasing to you. For those that serve in our military, keep them safe, Lord, as they protect not only our freedom, but work to keep peace around the world. Lord, we are so thankful that through peace, so many have been able to return home. We are grateful for another peace agreement in the Middle East between Israel and Bahrain. Many did not think this was possible in our lifetime, but with you, all things are possible. May many more follow. Lord, we welcome Pastor Dan to our pulpit today. We ask that uh, your words of wisdom be passed through him, that you would open our hearts, open our ears, fill us with your message today, that, Lord, truly we would be a blessing to someone else. And, Lord, as we continue with our service, let all God's people say, Amen. Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning, um, two passages. The first one comes from Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and, the peop and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? And now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, 
but heard cries of distress. And then the second reading is from John 15, 1 through 13. Very familiar passage. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the last time I had the opportunity to preach for you was in the beginning of March, and I was preaching to a praise team and a sound booth. So this is a little bit different, a little bit better. It is good to be with you again. And as I begin to preach, I'm about to do something that no one should do lightly. I'm about to quibble with C.S. Lewis about mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis is one of the was one of the great 20th century Christian theologians, and he's right far, far more often than he's wrong. But one of his suggestions in mere Christianity has always made me a little nervous. Lewis suggests that one of the best ways to figure out if you are a Christian is to just try it out. Try actually doing it day in, day out. And the logic is easy to follow. We learn by doing. That is, it's through putting in effort, through following a routine, through step A, step B, step C, that we learn how to do things. Putting in the effort, you can become a distance runner or a diesel mechanic. But you don't become a diesel mechanic by waking up one morning and saying, I think I'm a diesel mechanic today even if you stayed at a Holiday Inn Express. You don't become a runner without actually running. And so Lewis suggests, if you're not sure about this Christian thing, the best way to test it out is to actually try doing it. Day in, day out. 
And I love this as practical advice because I don't think that people tend to be won over to Christianity by intellectual argumentation. And I like intellectual argumentation. We learn our faith by doing it, playing follow the leader with parents, friends, and neighbors as the leaders that we will follow. So why am I quibbling with such good advice? Well, because this is my little fear, that there is no substitute for being the real thing. From a different vantage point, Lewis's advice seems a bit problematic. One of the great dangers, one of the great problems of the Christian life is hypocrisy. People who pretend at being Christian, people who look the part until you start looking closely, and all kinds of damage can ensue from people who only play at being the real thing. And this is the point of Isaiah chapter 5. So let's set up the issue. Isaiah 5 is a poem, almost a parable in the way it works. It's a poem. It trades on familiar imagery, the imagery of Israel as a vineyard. And like many biblical metaphors, it has a real world behind it. Israel has good geography for vineyards. When I spent a month in Israel on an archaeological dig a few summers ago, I could look down the side of our hill and see vineyards in the valley below. That was at Azekah on the boundary of the Judean highlands and the coastal plains. Further north, near Jezreel, where Naboth has his vineyard, also you have prime real estate for vineyards in the valleys. And the Jezreel Valley had drawn royal attention from before there was Israel there, in the time of early pharaohs. And it draws attention until the Romans and even into the Byzantine era as this is a place where if you are the king, the people in power, you're going to take this area, you're going to have it as royal land because you want the best vineyards. Vineyards in Israel are so significant that in Psalm 80, the idea of Israel itself as a vineyard, as God's precious planting, is something we encounter. The psalm writer says to God, you brought a vine out of Egypt, you drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, it took deep root and filled the land. And in the second Jewish revolt, a century after Jesus, Jewish coinage uses the image of a grapevine as a symbol for Israel. And so as Isaiah 5 begins, it would be easy, natural, for the hearers of this poem to think, oh, this is a story about us. We are God's vineyard. Although the last verse is what makes the image specific, the very beginning words, my beloved had a vineyard, probably suffice to spark the audience's imagination. They would have known they were about to hear about their God and their national story. And as we paint the picture, it would confirm their self-understanding as a specially chosen people. The beloved has built his vineyard. He's made capital improvements on the grounds. He's protected it from predators on the one hand with its hedge, marauders on the other with its tower, and everything is good. 
except, except for one thing. The grapes. The grapes aren't right. In fact, the grapes are so wrong that the text won't even call them grapes. It uses a word not used anywhere else in the Old Testament, although the verbal form does occur a few places in the Old Testament. And when that verbal form occurs, it occurs in contexts of dead fish in the plagued Nile and rotten manna kept overnight. It stinks is what that verb means. And so this word that's not normally used for grapes describes what this vine has produced. I looked at my grapevine and it produced e. And it's such a strange word that when they first translated it from Hebrew into Greek into the Septuagint, they weren't sure what to do with it, and they took a guess. And they translated it thistles, which is another really interesting image. Imagine your grapevine is so wrong that instead of grapes, it produces thistles. Something has gone wrong. So now in your mind's eye again, picture the vineyard as it has been described. It's a beautiful sight from a distance. Properly equipped, well-maintained, with vines that look healthy and perfect, but the one thing that a vineyard has to have is lacking. How can it look so right and end up so wrong? And Isaiah explains the whole point of this poem at its end with a wordplay that we need to hear for its artistry. We're told that Israel is the vineyard and God is its planter, and Israel looks right from a distance, but is more and more wrong the closer you get. Isaiah says of God, well, he looked for mishpat, but he found mispach. He looked for tzedakah, but heard tzedakah. And as you hear those Hebrew words, you can hear they sound the same. There is one consonant different in each pair. But by replacing one letter, we go from what's right to what's wrong. We have two classic terms for justice, mishpat, tzedakah. These are the words that describe life as it should be. This is a society that does justice. This is people that have concern for the poor among them. That's mishpat and tzedakah. And God looked for that, assuming that that's what his people would give to the poor among them. And instead he saw mispach, bloodshed, and he heard tsa'akah, the cries of distress from people who have no one but God to cry out to against the injustice in their world. So hopefully explaining the joke hasn't killed it. The pun heightens the bitterness of this love poem gone wrong. Isaiah says of his people, Israel looks good until you start looking closely. But once you start looking closely, you see the horrifying results of a rotten society. The people who are supposed to be protected are the people who are being killed. And where there's supposed to be proper behavior, 
the victims are crying out to God for relief. What is lacking is the real thing. These people who look almost right, but with results that are totally wrong. Now at this point, confronted with a story about Israel long ago, we could go in two different directions. We could lean into the prophetic indictment of social injustice and ask whether North American Christians should be similarly indicted. Is that story long ago about us? Is a question that we could ask. And I have little doubt that we could make such an indictment and that we would, in fact, deserve such an indictment. I've already mentioned C.S. Lewis in this sermon. I will mention him again. Lewis was cautious when it came to speaking about economic justice. But he would speak about Christian charity, which he described as an absolute necessity. And he calls the parable of the sheep and goats in Matthew 25 a terrifying parable because it makes everything hinge on our behavior toward the least of Jesus' brothers and sisters. But I want to go in a different direction. Because I don't think we need to argue against the indictment. We don't need to make ourselves defensive and say, yeah, well, but no. The Heidelberg Catechism says that we have a natural tendency to hate God and our neighbor. And we put that natural tendency on display fairly often. So rather than leaning into the indictment, what we need to talk about is how do we fix things? What do we do to change an indictment that could be leveled against us? And in John chapter 15, we have an answer. We have a different riff on this same theme, a different image of the vine. And it isn't that Jesus is necessarily speaking directly to Isaiah chapter 5 and saying, well, there's your problem and here's the fix. But it can work for us in this way. We can read Jesus' words as a correction for us if we are going to be the vineyard of God's delight. If we ask, what will keep us from the same kind of failures that Isaiah described? What will keep us from looking good at a distance but rotten close up? Jesus offers our only hope. If we have a natural tendency to hate God and our neighbor, we need that natural tendency uprooted and replaced. And so Jesus says, I am the vine, and tells us to remain connected to him. And he says that if we remain connected with him, we will bear fruit, but that if we are disconnected, we will do nothing. Put simply, if we are going to be the real thing rather than some awful parody of what God wants us to be, we must be connected to Jesus. And he is the only way that we will be the real thing. So what do I mean, be connected to Jesus? What does it look like to be connected to Jesus? Elsewhere in John's gospel, it becomes clear that this 
For John is all about faith. It is faith that connects you to Jesus. It is faith that is your, your lifeline. So much so that in John chapter 6, when people come to Jesus and say, well, what kind of work does God want us to do? What is the stuff that we need to do? Jesus says, the work that God wants you to do is to believe in the one that he has sent. Your work, step A, step B, step C, is to have faith in Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 15, that faith is going to result in bearing fruit. Well, how is that supposed to work for us? How is faith going to change who we are? For John, faith leads to renewal. Faith leads to God's life in us. Faith leads to to us being different people than we were before. With a new way of thinking, a new way of living, a new source of strength. It is this act of believing for John that is like turning on a fire hose. And so having the life of God, powerful, lasting, and real, flowing through you. so that you aren't really just the way you were anymore. You are something different, something changed. Which perhaps brings us back to Isaiah's indictment and our obligations. We cannot fake justice, not in any lasting, meaningful way. And whether you are thinking of Isaiah's indictment or John's answer, in both we are responsible for pursuing a real and lasting kind of justice. We are responsible for making the world that we live in a better place. When John talks about our moral obligations, he frames it in terms of love. As Jesus says in his next breath after saying, I am the vine and you are the branches, he says, and this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Right after saying that we must remain in Jesus to bear fruit, we are told that we must love. So the fruit that we're going to bear is this love for other people. There is no authentic form of Christianity that ignores this command to love our neighbors as ourselves. So our natural tendency our Heidelberg Catechism natural tendency to hate God and our neighbor has no place. We need to be made new by Jesus Christ. And when that happens, true Christian faith will seek justice and righteousness. And we will be committed to this justice, not as a substitute for a relationship with Jesus, but because of our relationship with Jesus because we are connected to Jesus. And when we do this, it will become clear in us and through us that it is the gospel that makes us the real thing rather than some hypocritical copy that only looks good from a long way off.
Amen. Will you join with me in prayer? Lord, we want to be the real thing. We want faith that is vibrant and authentic. We want to be such good examples of Jesus that people want what we have as they see who we are. And so, Lord, strengthen our faith and connect us to you and sharpen our vision so that we see the needs of the world around us and increase our love so that it flows from us so that your love flows through us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.